Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to continue our study in Mark chapter 7. If you want to turn your Bible there, Mark chapter 7 as well. Keep your finger in Ephesians 2 as well as Matthew's gospel chapter 15. Once again, Mark 7, Ephesians 2, Matthew 15. Uh, Let me remind you that Sunday nights at South Bay are starting 7 p.m., February 19th, so not Super Bowl Sunday, but the Sunday thereafter. And because it's the month of love, Valentine's Day and all, we're going to be starting the book Song of Solomon. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that 7 p.m. on Sunday nights. That's why it's called Sunday Nights at South Bay. Uh, Figured we'd come up with a real practical name uh, to make it very practical for everyone. Mark 7. Ephesians 2, Matthew 15, let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts. Our Father, we marvel at your grace that you can take Markiel and in a moment deliver him. Years of his mother praying, years of anguish. But at your time, your grace overwhelmed Marquille. Thank you, Jesus, that we can depend on you and your grace in our time of need. And as we learn about this incredible grace today, I ask in Jesus' name, give us spiritual ears to hear so that we might be able to become more like you. Grace It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a measure of review, there was a huge problem in the early church, Jewish tradition, especially in regards to the way the Jews looked at Gentiles. For thousands of years, they referred to them as dogs. Oh, not little Fido jumping around in your house. The word that they used was a mangy, unclean, flea-ridden animal, a dog. And the Jews referred to them as this, and they created traditions. Traditions where they needed to wash themselves in the event that when they went out into public, they would come in contact with a Gentile dog. We have these kinds of dogs in the Bahamas, they're known as potcakes, 50,000 stray dogs on an island that's only 7 by 21 miles. You do everything you can to stay away from these flea-ridden bag of fleas. I mean, they're mangy and the hair is dropping off. They're skinny. And they, the Bahamian government just lets them run through all of the islands. And in the same way, That's the way the Jews looked at Gentiles, so they developed a tradition that we learned last week of the washing of hands. Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene and debunks their doctrine. 
You see, they were teaching the washing of hands, but the heart of the problem was the problem of their heart. They thought they were better than those Gentile dogs. And I'm sorry for the expression, but it's the truth of the way they viewed them. Well, Jesus makes it clear this is your tradition, and you're teaching it as if it's the commandments of God. But this is not the truth of God. The truth of God is one of compassion and love and mercy. That represents his heart. Paul, in fact, he would mock the Jews. And he would call the Jews' dogs that were bringing Jewish tradition into the church. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Mark lets us know, Jesus officially declared an end to the Jewish tradition in Mark chapter 7. This is what Mark Paul was referring to. Take a look. It's Mark chapter 7. I'll pick it up as a review in verse 18. So he said to them, speaking to the disciples, Are you thus without understanding, love the King James? Are you so dull? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Verse 19. Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. You see, there's one little phrase in there that the gospel writers would refer to, and the New Testament writers would refer to in order to develop the doctrine that Christ brought an end to the law. He purified all foods with this statement. Paul would say this. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 4. You'll see it on the screen. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. That's you and I. That's the church of God. We don't have to follow Jewish law. But the disciples are struggling with this. They're just struggling with it. So Jesus looks at them in Mark 7. He says, Do you not understand also? Are you so dull? Well, let's give some understanding. They've been following the tradition of the elders their whole lives. They thought this tradition was a commandment of God. They actually believed that it was true. We're better. We're cleaner. We need to wash if we come around those Gentile dogs. We know Peter struggled with this tradition almost his whole ministry career. Even when the power of the Spirit was upon Peter, Peter would have to be convinced with pigs in a blanket coming down from heaven in order to go into a Gentile's house. Now, I don't know about you, but I love pig. I love ham. In fact, last night, I don't know if you ever had New Jersey pork roll. I'm ordering it online. I love pig. I love bacon. I love honey-baked ham at Christmas. I love ham hocks. I love pig feet. I love chicharrones. I love everything there is about a pig. I can't imagine living under the law. And I've discovered now they make flavored chicharrones. Ranch-flavored, barbecue-flavored, chili-flavored. How many of you are hungry now? But Peter, no chicharrones were a part of his diet. Jesus had to bring them down on a blanket and say, eat, have a picnic. Don't you call unclean what I call clean. And it would be this vision by which Peter understood that he could go into a Gentile's house. But it still struggled with him. 
Paul would have to stand up to Peter's face and denounce him because Peter refused later in his ministry to eat with Gentiles. Church leadership. Peter was struggling with the tension of race and ethnicity. In fact, the entire book of Ephesians deals with this very topic deals with the tension of the Jew and the Gentile, two different ethnicities that were not getting along in the church. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, take a look. We'll pick it up in verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. As I read this, think of the context of Jew and Gentile not getting along. Look what the Holy Spirit says. Verse 8. For by grace, Jew and Gentile, you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves, not whether you're Jewish or Gentile. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, now here's the point. Remember that you... Once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So what he's saying is, I know the Jews call you the uncircumcision. This was like a naughty word. That at the time, you were without Christ. Here's the truth. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. This is all true. Having no hope without God in the world, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at this. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now remember, God was the one that made that separation when he picked the Jews out of the nations. Verse 15 having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. I've underlined this. Thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, getting rid of the tension, getting rid of the hatred. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both, both Jew and Gentile, have access by the Spirit to the Father. God is admitting. He's making it very clear. I made the distinction. I made the difference. There is Jew and there is Gentile. And I did this only to reveal my great grace. It was God that tore down the barriers that he created. He broke down the wall of separation to reveal that his grace brings peace. He made it very clear. It's by grace we've all been saved, whether Jew or Gentile. He makes the playing field level for all of humanity. Now the church, the body of Christ, We must follow suit and break down the barriers of race and ethnicity just like Jesus. That's the body of Christ. He broke down the only barrier that existed. And he broke it down because of his grace. Can I tell you something? 
The church has always been every tribe, tongue, and nation from God's eternal perspective. And if he broke down the barrier that he developed, we need to break down the barriers that we have possibly developed. Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible says this. You'll see it on the screen. Paul speaking about this great miracle that Jew and Gentile can get along in the church. He says this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. In other words, can you believe Jew and Gentile can get along? Yes, because of God. According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory, the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, God can break down racial tension. Growing up in an all-black culture in the Bahamas, taking my children to live back in the Bahamas, I have a family that is black, white, Hispanic, and now that they're getting married, mocha. We've got every tribe, tongue, and nation in our family. We have had to deal with racial tension, both on the white side and on the black side, and on the Hispanic side. We have dealt with it all around, and we make it a common conversation in our home. And I'll never forget having a conversation in the midst of some outside tension which has never existed in our family. My blonde-haired, blue-eyed daughter looked at her black-as-purple brother and said, I've never seen anything but my brother. You see, we made it a goal in our family because I'm responsible for myself and I'm responsible for my children. And we made it a goal in our family to end the general generational curse of racial tension. And when I heard my daughter said that, my wife and I looked at each other and realized we have accomplished in our children what God has called us to do, break down the barriers. Now it's your responsibility. Now we are the body of Christ. We are the church. Peter struggled with this his whole ministry career. But it appears that at the end of his life, he finally got it. You see, Peter is the voice behind Mark's gospel. And Peter is about to tell us a story in his humility to help us understand this great grace of God that breaks down every barrier. Would you turn back with me to Mark's gospel, chapter 7, as we pick it up in verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus, don't go in that neighborhood. This is the first time that Jesus will leave Palestine and go into a Gentile, completely Gentile-owned and controlled area, and he's taking his disciples. You see, the disciples are stuck in their tradition. The disciples are stuck in looking at the, Jew, looking at the Jews, excuse me, looking at the Gentiles as dogs, and Jesus knows it. And so the best way to teach a lesson is to repeat the lesson. And so Jesus is giving them an experience by taking them into this neighborhood that's not like theirs to show them a powerful 
truth of the power of grace. The Bible says that he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Can I give you a truth about this age of grace that we live in? The truth of this age of grace is no matter how the darkness tries to enshrine the light of the gospel, you can't hide Jesus as long as a Christian is shining as a light. The truth of the gospel is the darker it gets, the lighter the brightness of the gospel will shine. Jesus can't be hidden then, and Jesus can't be hidden now. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. We are to let our light so shine. How many of you want to be a part of Mark Hill's story? That security guard at the Church of Scientology had no idea what he was going to do by planting the seed of the gospel in Mark Hill's heart. But now thousands of people have been edified because one security guard decided not to let Jesus be hidden in his life. We clap and we applaud, we even cried at the testimony. But don't you want to be on a video as the unknown person that planted the seed of the gospel? Jesus can't be hidden. The Bible goes on to say, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. She came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Mark makes sure to point out she is Gentile. And the disciples are in a Gentile area. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, stop for a minute. This woman has everything against her. First and foremost, she's a Gentile. She's a Gentile. And like I said, this is the first and only time that Jesus would go into this region But Jesus is taking his disciples there for a reason. And what Mark is doing is preparing us to let us know Peter finally got it. He finally understood. But secondly, she's a woman. Now let me let you know, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone, it's all the way back to the first century. Please put your minds there. Jewish men did not speak publicly to any other women besides their wife, much less a Gentile woman. Especially Jesus He's a rabbi. Don't talk to this woman, Jesus. First of all, we shouldn't be in this neighborhood. We're not like these people. They're dogs. When we leave here, we're going to have to take a full-on bath. We're not going to have to just wash our hands. We're going to have to pour a whole thing of water over us. We're amongst those Gentile dogs. That's the point. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And he's debunking their doctrine. He is challenging their tradition. Turn with me to Matthew's gospel. We're going to fill in some of the pages of what Mark left out. Matthew chapter 15, as we continue with this story, Matthew chapter 15, I'll pick it up in verse 21, because we're going to see something so powerful that this woman is up against. Take a look, verse 21. Then Jesus, he went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, in other words, surprise, the disciples are just unbelievable. They can't believe a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, 
I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow. Imagine this woman. She's a woman, a Gentile, and the disciples walk up to Jesus in front of her, send her away. She's bothering us. Ruff, ruff, little Gentile dog. You can hear the disdain in their, of their embedded traditions in this woman, for this woman. Just get her away. They have no shame to tell Jesus in front of this woman, tell her to go away because of the way they thought about her. She's a Gentile dog. And everything seems to be against her. But there is one. There's one who's for her. And let me tell you, the one who's for her, when God be for us, who can be against us? So Jesus responds to the disciples and he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. And the disciples say, amen, glory to God, hallelujah. You're so right. You were sent to us, not to these Gentile dogs. But let's not forget the character and the conduct and the heart of our Jesus. Because remember, he's on a mission trip to teach the disciples a powerful truth. And what he is doing is masterfully, verbally exposing what's the heart of the problem. The problem of your heart. The way that you're looking at this woman. You want this woman God. You want her out of the picture. But Jesus, he's revealing the age of grace. He's revealing the gospel is open to all. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not whether you're Jew or Gentile, black or white. It is because of the grace of God. She reveals something so powerful. This woman reveals the power of God's grace that we can be in a relationship with God. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you are, what has happened in your life, Jesus is your answer. And this woman believed that. You see, we read, we read in Mark's gospel, she heard Some faithful security guard somewhere told her that Jesus is the answer to your problem. Someone somewhere in her life heard that Jesus was the answer and she believed. She heard and she believed. This is the truth of the gospel that we need to be those that go into all the world and preach the gospel. And as a believer... This woman grows very deep in her relationship with Jesus by her communication in prayer. You see, remember when she first approached Jesus, Oh Lord, Son of David, how official you are. My dad, when he prayed, he prayed in King James English. Dearest Jesus, thankest goddest for theest because you are ist. And he just put T-H and S-T at the end of every word. And I would always say to him, Dad, like God speaks regular English. You can just tell him. Like you can say, our father. My dad, no. He would always say to me, he goes, listen, you disrespect God with your prayers and I'll respect him with mine. 
And he would always say to me, look at you. You wear flip-flops to church. At least I know how to go to God. You don't even wear the proper shoes. My dad was very, very instilled in us the awe of God. But then something happened. My mom's dad was dying. And my mom's dad and my dad were great friends. And I'll never forget, I walked into the room and my dad was in tears. And I heard this. Oh, Lord, just save him. That impression of that moment, it changed my whole idea of prayer. My dad had gone to God in a relationship where he could only speak King James, but now in his moment of desperate need, he's pouring out his heart. Oh, God, please save my friend. Please save my family member. And that's exactly what this woman is doing. Would you take a look at how she goes to him in verse 25? Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. She has progressed in her relationship with God. She's gone from official and formal son of David to, oh, Lord, as she pours out her heart, please. She's pouring out her heart for a reason, because look at verse 23. He answered her not a word. Okay, we don't like this story. This is not Kumbaya Jesus. I mean, Jesus, what do you mean you're ignoring her? How many of you have ever felt that way? How many of you ever felt that you've been praying for five and 10 and 15 years for your prodigal child? How many of you have been praying for your spouse that doesn't know the Lord? And now you're on year 20 and you're crying out to heaven, do you hear me? Let me assure you, God's ear is not too far away that he cannot hear, nor is his arm too short that he cannot reach and touch. God is pleased with faith. And what he is doing with this woman is building her faith and using her to teach the disciples. Can I assure you that God's silence is not his inactivity? And she cries out to him, Lord, help me. She comes and worships. No more formalities. This woman is getting closer and closer to Jesus. And Jesus is drawing closer to her. But I want you to see something about this woman. She doesn't do this. I knew it. I knew you Jews. I know how you behave. I know you only came in here to act like you're all better than us. I know you just ignored me. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to stop talking to you now, okay? I, I, I mean, come on. Don't you see me? I'm like weeping. Your, your disciples are ridiculing me. I'm here at your feet. Like, come on, classic Jew, just ignoring me. That's not what she does. Her, this woman's faith is commendable. She breaks beyond her own traditions, and the Bible says she worshipped him. I'll never forget a good friend of mine who's now passed away when she was first diagnosed with terminal cancer. We had a worship night at church, and she showed up on the day that she was diagnosed. And I looked at her, and I was behind her, and she lifted up her hands, singing, Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your voice. There's a lion inside there. Come and get up and praise the Lord. She worshiped Jesus with everything in her life and in her heart because her life wasn't dependent on her feelings. It was based in her faith. This woman worshiped. 
despite what the experience was, this worship woman worships. She doesn't whine. She doesn't blame God. She's not mad at him. She doesn't mope. She doesn't give up. She bows and worship. And maybe in the midst of our circumstance, we as well need to simply just lift our hands and worship God and trust in him. Do you know what Job said? After losing his family, after losing his business, after losing his health, the Bible said that he proclaimed to God, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. How much do we need to grow in our faith? The Bible goes on in Mark's gospel. Would you go back there with me? Now we pick up the story. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 27, but Jesus said to her, Let the little children be filled first, for it's not good to take to the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Ouch! I mean, the wonderful grace of Jesus doesn't seem to be so grace-filled right now. Did he just call her a dog? She's been seemingly ignored, demeaned by the disciples who have a desire just to get rid of her, and now this? Remember, Jesus is on a mission. Remember, he has brought his disciples into the wrong neighborhood Remember, the disciples want this woman gone. They care more about their reputation than they have any concern for this Gentile woman dog or her Gentile daughter dog. That's their heart. That's their attitude. I mean, Jesus, we're going to have to take a full-on bath when we get out of this area. I can't believe that you brought us here. What Jesus is doing in this statement, he's exposing the heart problem to build their faith. And he's using this woman to build her faith, but to also teach the disciples a powerful lesson. You see, this is not a reluctance of Jesus to give grace. That would be out of his character. It's not who we know Jesus to be. No, it's his readiness to bestow his grace upon her. It may sound harsh, but it's a misunderstanding of the truth. Because Jesus is giving a truth. And truth will set us free. Though we don't understand what God may be asking us to do, we might even say, wow, God, that's harsh. But you need to rest in his character that truth will set you free. Jesus, Jesus gives an important truth here because he's right. When he says, let the children be filled first, salvation is for the Jew first. And this had to hurt this woman. But Jesus was communicating a truth. Paul, he would let us know in Romans chapter 1, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Jesus was sent to the Jewish nation first, and he is giving her this truth. But the Jewish nation rejected him. Now, she could have been like this. I knew it. Oh, the Jews, they come first. Don't worry about me. But she doesn't. That's not what she does. This woman responds to this truth, breaking her own prejudiced tradition, and she says this, Yes, Lord. How many of us, when God asks us to forgive the person we hate, we say, Yes, Lord. 
How many of us, when God asks us to go to Africa, we say, yes, Lord. How many of us, when we're in the midst of our circumstance, situation, and trial, and God speaks a truth to us, are we willing to be like this woman's faith and say, yes, Lord, no matter how we feel about it? She chose faith. Samuel Rutherford, the great preacher, he said this, it is faith's work to claim and challenge loving kindness out of all of the roughest strokes of God. She's like Job. Though he slay me, no matter my situation, no matter my circumstances, no matter my diagnosis, I will tell my soul, lift up your hands and give a hallelujah to the Lord. I will trust him. You see, the disciples are learning a powerful lesson of grace from this woman. They are watching this woman break her tradition. They are watching this woman in agreement with the truth of the Lord. They're still struggling with the truth of the Lord, trying to get rid of this woman because of their tradition, because of their prejudice, because of their bigotry. But Jesus broke those barriers down. He took them there to learn that lesson. Let me tell you how I believe Jesus spoke this statement. Let the children be filled first. And if the Bible was an audio book, you would hear the disciples behind Jesus. You tell her, Jesus, Jew first. You could just hear them. And then he goes on. For it is not good to take the children's bread. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you tell that Gentile dog woman, get out of here. And give and throw it to the little dogs. Uh, Jesus, that's not the word we use. That word is the word that, like little Fido jumping around in our house. We pick him up, we cuddle him. Oh, little Fido. The word we use is mangy dog, like unclean. Don't use that word, Jesus. You need to correct your statement. Uh, she, we need to get rid of her. And little dog is more affectionate. And I don't know if that's what you want to use, Jesus. Once again, Jesus is not calling this woman a dog. He's exposing the disciples' hearts. And throw it, now he looks at the woman, to the little dogs. Church, Jesus is building their faith, taking them on this mission to break down barriers. But Jesus, this woman's faith, is ministering to his disciples. They're stuck in tradition. They're stuck in their truth, but it's not God's truth of love and compassion. They're all supported behind everything that Jesus said, except for this term. The woman would even verify this term, call herself a little dog. She communicates, I've got it. And though I don't understand, and though I can't grasp all that you're saying, whatever you say, I'm going to choose to believe, and I'm going to choose to live. What a lesson for the disciples, because they're about to encounter God's heart of grace for this woman. Would you look at Matthew, Mark chapter 7, verse 29? Then he said to her, For this saying, because you said yes, Lord, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter, and when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Peter gave us this story because he finally got it. But this story is not just for the disciples. It's for us, teaching us faith. 
How many of your prayers, you feel like God's ignoring you, that heaven is silent, and you've been praying so faithfully, and it seems like God has not answered your prayer? This woman's faith is an example for us. How many of you, the reality of your situation, as you've been praying, coming to Jesus has gotten worse? Like you came to church and you told someone, and they blamed you, and they said it's your fault. They mocked you instead of loved on you and had compassion on you, just like the disciples with this woman publicly saying, get rid of her. How many have had this woman's experience? She becomes our example of faith. But worse yet, maybe you're that parent, and you've been praying for your demon-possessed, your prodigal child. You've been praying five years, ten years. They grew up in the church, but now they've walked astray. They've entered into a different lifestyle. They want nothing to do with God, and you keep pleading with God, just like this woman, please have my prodigal be healed. Well, this woman becomes an example for us. Persist in prayer and allow your prayer to grow you deep in relationship with God. Move away from formalities of, oh God, son of David, and enter into the simple prayer. Lord, help me. Pour out your heart for your child. Lord, help me fight the battle in prayer. Trust his compassion. Trust his love. Trust his mercy despite how you feel and choose to worship him because he is merciful. And even if he speaks to you a difficult word, allow the hardest of truth to set you free instead of turn your heart against God because he's not doing it your way. Worship him. Worship him. You see, this is our faith. And this woman is teaching us a powerful lesson of faith. To further solidify the power of God's grace, Mark gives us a story to help us understand that he was teaching the disciples a lesson that this woman was not a dog. She was a woman in need, and I'm a God of compassion. The Bible goes on. Would you take a look at this final story? Verse 31, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of the Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. You see, repeat is the best way to teach. And reteach with experience is the best way to learn. So Jesus takes them into another Gentile area. Then they, oh, not the Jews. Usually when the gospel writers report the Jews, they point them out, the Jews. But when we're speaking about Gentiles, you can still hear some of the prejudice. Then they, speaking of Gentiles. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impotent in his, impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. This is another Gentile that the Gentiles are asking that the Jewish Jesus touches. Can you hear the disciples? Don't touch him. I mean, we've gone out of the pot and into the fire. Not only are we going to have to take a bath, we're going to have to cleanse ourselves for 30 days. Jesus, are you going to touch him? And he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. 
Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment, think of what the disciples are thinking, looking at this Gentile. His tongue was loosed and he was spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he's done all things well. Of course he has, he's God. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Mark is adding this story for a reason. You see, Jesus, I want you to see his loving compassion. And he speaks using the world's first sign language to minister to this man who cannot hear and speak. Watch. He ministers the word of God in sign language. I love you. What a powerful moment. That's why every 1030 service, Cheryl sits right over here and she gives the word of God in sign language. Because I believe what Jesus is pointing out here, however, wherever you are, get the gospel out. If you got to use sign language, use sign language. If you got to be in the workplace, be in the workplace. Wherever you are, however you can, get the gospel and the seed of the gospel into the hearts of people. But I want you to see something else about our loving Savior. The Bible says he sighed. He grieved over how the suffering of sin has affected this man. Oh, not sin of this man, but the sin that's in this world. And let me tell you what, the man, what Jesus does with those of us suffering with the sin of this world. He says, be opened. He delivers. Markiel's story is not just for Markiel. It's for the world. That's the heart of our Savior. Bring him the impossible. Bring him your barriers. Bring him your prejudice. And watch the power of his grace go into action and change and deliver you. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And we are so grateful, God, that you delivered. You weren't even there expressing the faith of what we live in now, that we can talk to you and from heaven you can deliver. You delivered the demon-possessed girl and you weren't physically there. And I know you want to deliver our prodigals today. Parents, I'm talking to you. If you have a prodigal son or daughter, we want to pray with you. And I'm going to ask you to just stand up like people have done all throughout every service. We want to pray for you. You have a prodigal son or daughter. They have walked away from the Lord. And you've been praying 5, 10, 15 years. Stand right now. Don't be ashamed. This woman, she did everything to get to Jesus. This isn't your fault. It's the effect of sin in the world. You stand right now. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Church, I want you to look up and I want you to see the people that are standing. And I want you to get up out of your seat, maybe walk towards them or lean your hands towards them. We're going to pray for them right now. Our Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. 
And these parents have stood because they're coming to you. They're here in church. They're worshiping you. They are setting the example just like this woman. And so, Lord, as they stand in humility, crying out to you, we pour our heart out and we say like this woman did, Lord, help. Please help us. Just call the name of your child. Call the name of your loved one. and Say, Lord, please help. And now maybe raise up your hands and worship him. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. In the example this woman set, we worship you. And we're asking, Lord, deliver our prodigal. In your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you have your seat? But maybe today, maybe today you're the prodigal. And you're living under your mom's roof. She made you come to church. You're living under my roof. You're going to church. Let me tell you why. Because she knows that Jesus can set you free. She knows what Jesus can do in your life. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.